1: It's 6.08 on a Saturday morning, 52 degrees outside. It's going to be a great Saturday for getting outside, for being with your family, and more importantly, for being in your garden. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I am here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do in your garden, in your lawn, in your trees, in your shrubbery. In your uh, houseplants, in your vegetable garden, with your organic gardening, with your synthetic gardening, with your I don't care about it gardening, with your obsessive compulsive gardening. If you have a question about gardening, your garden questions will be answered and your garden answers will be questioned. 404-872-D-404-872-0750. I knew that number was coming in there. 404-872-0750. What have I been doing this week? Yeah, you know what I've been doing? Pruning azaleas. My azaleas, all the Japanese azaleas that bloom so prettily back at the first of April, have grown. They've grown probably a foot and a half, maybe taller than they were when I started back last year. And so I thought, oh, they're going to block my front door if I let them get much taller than that. And so I got out with uh, both hedge trimmer and hand pruners as well to do a little nipping and tucking here and there. And getting the tops off of them, and so I pruned my azaleas. And I can't prune all my azaleas because some, I have what I call satsuki azaleas. And satsuki literally means fifth month, and which means that the satsukis will start blooming in just a day or so. I saw one popped out last night. Um, the satsuki azaleas will pop out and start blooming all during the month of May because that's what they do. Satsuki, fifth month azaleas. So if you see some low-growing, generally three or four maybe feet tall if they're old azaleas that are blooming about right now. Those are satsukis, and we'll prune those after they finish blooming. But the Japanese azaleas, for the most part, the ones that are shrubby, that make the mounds and all that kind of stuff, they're the ones that have the tall sprouts on them, and I wanted to get those pruned. I went down the street to see my neighbor's knockout rose. My neighbor's knockout rose is seven feet tall. It may be eight, maybe eight feet tall. I saw another neighbor walking past. I said, come here. Come here, Kathy. Stand in front of this. Get your dog. Get Layla over here. Let's take a picture of you in front of these knockout roses. They're enormous. There's three of them right in a row. One, two, three. And they are just ablaze with color right now. Amazing color on knockout roses. Tom and and, uh, Colleen have just let them grow for I guess this has been in the house, which has been mm, five, eight, ten years, something like that. They've been there for a while, and that knockout rose has never been pruned, and it's eight feet tall, and it's full of flowers, and it is gorgeous. Right this minute. If you have questions about how to prune a knockout rose, you know the number, 404-872-0750, or pruning azaleas, either one, same number, same, same thing. If you have questions about how to prune low-lying limbs, which is the other thing I've been doing this week because it rained so much that it made the limbs on my cherry tree and two or three other trees, Silverbell and some others by the path and behind the house, that uh, they were in my face all the time. I was walking down the path and I had these limbs, bang, on the top of my head and in my forehead. And I thought, you are going to be gone now. And so I just got my loppers out and went up about two, some feet up in the, up in the limb structure of the tree. And what I try to do when I prune these limbs... I don't leave stubs. What I try to do is to cut just beyond where another limb is going upward. There's a technical name for that that some of the arborists know what that is, but that means that the, the tree will heal my cut pretty quickly and send all this energy into the limb that's going upward rather than downward and swooping down and get in my face, which I don't like. So we made sure that the, uh, the trees were pruned in that way. If you, again, have questions about pruning, about lawn care, about houseplants, about organic gardening, vegetable gardening, anything you need to know, 404-872-0750. Comes to us first from the wilds of Spalding County, our friend, Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Mr. Ray. Ms. Nicole, good morning.
2: Good morning. You need to cherish your mother. Still, You still have her every day. I got
1: because. my mama, and she is, as we all know, 97 years old, has a... A good case of the lingerings, and she continues to linger there in, uh, in Fayette County, and I went to see her Wednesday, and uh, my brother and I went down, and he mowed, and I sprayed Roundup on the patches of poison ivy in front of the house, and her caregiver's husband, I think, planted tomatoes around the back of the house, and so we got things done.
2: All right, yeah. because it's Mother's Day tomorrow. Every day we think about
1: them. It is indeed, Mama, for whether Mother is here or not here. And you know one more thing about Mother's Day. I passed on the, uh, on the walk to, with my brother a rose bush there which had white blooms on it. And I thought to myself, that is the rose that we would pick little flowers off of on Mother's Day to show whether our mother was still with us or passed away. You had the white roses if your mother is alive. You had the red roses if your mother has passed away. And you wore those to church on Sunday morning on Mother's Day.
2: Imagine that.
1: Yeah. They live
2: Sunday. a long time,
1: isn't it? Yeah, how it has lived for all these many years. But, gosh, I was six or seven years old when we first started doing it, probably before that. But I don't remember it. But I certainly remember going out there with a pair of scissors or something and cutting off those white flowers. and mother would get a safety pin and pin it onto the front of our shirts, our little suits, before we went to church on Sunday, on Mother's Day.
2: We were, They were so proud of us, isn't it? People had a lot of pride <laughs> because of the
1: church, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so.
2: Stella Odora, Mr. Reed. What
1: about Stella de what it, about
2: it? I know it's not the right name. The reason why I call it Stella Odera, I was thinking about this man you interviewed one time,
1: yeah.
2: and this man had the job to name flower and plant. <laughs> I was telling myself, K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K-K. it's not like you have to pick up watermelon all day long or work <laughs> at McDonald's or someplace. This guy had a perfect job,
1: isn't it? Well, the Stella de Oro daylily would be, what, star, golden star. Star of gold, Stella star de Oro would be of gold, and so Star of gold would be the name of this repeat blooming day lily, the Stella de Oro, which is blooming right now.
2: I went to Fayetteville in front of the bank, and I don't think nobody fertilized, you know, those day lily. But they were in between two concrete plates, maybe three or four foot wide. I mean, the perfect place because I think. Mine don't bloom, but those will huh. bloom me, a hundred bloom. I think they like to be uh, really uh, together and uh, without, uh, uh, I forget what that I want to care,
1: say. without much uh, you know, care, without much water. Care, and
2: just a good drainage, because between two concrete, it's got to be really uh, drained fast, isn't it? Is How that the secret of them?
1: Probably so, because daylilies have that real fleshy root, and that fleshy root can be attacked by soil boogers that get into them if it's real wet and soggy, and they don't like that. So getting the soil dry out between the rains and waterings is a good thing for daylilies. But I'll tell you, two things that I found on Stella de Oro, the repeat-blooming daylilies, that I think are really important. One is that they will respond more to fertilizer after the flowering right now, if you fertilize them and cut off the seed pods, two things you should do after they flower, fertilize once again and cut off any seed pods that form, and they'll come back again with a hundred more blooms sometime in July.
2: And then you can bring on the seed pod, and because it's big seed inside, and yeah. plant it next year.
1: Plant it next year. I, probably... I want you to cut the seed pods off when they're still green, but probably if you were to leave one seed pod on one plant and let it mature, and it'll turn sort of a yellowish, greenish color in July, and then by August and September, it'll turn brown and real crackly. And that's the point when the seeds inside are mature. But if you open one of those seed pods in August or September, there'll be a hundred little brown, sort of round, papery seeds inside there, and they're the ones you can plant in the early fall and get more Stella de Oro daylilies next year.
2: Oh, daylilies are oh, so great.
1: They sure are, they sure are. In fact, I, I need to make a list. I'm working on a book right now with Erica Glazer on Southern on lists of Southern plants for the for the South, or best plants for you know certain situations in the South. And one of the things, one of the lists I should make is plants that will never disappoint you. And daylilies would be first on that list.
2: Are you writing another book?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: You You heard it first.
1: You heard it first, Nicole. This morning, Erica and I are going to have a book in, I don't know, be a year easily, but we're making the book to be lists of plants that are appropriate for certain situations. What are the five best plants to plant around your mailbox? What are the uh, ten most scented plants that smell real good in the garden? What are the three plants you can't do without if you have a wet place in the backyard? Just lists of things that people need to know. People are asking, you know, sometimes, here, what can I use for screening? i got to have a screen in the backyard in the shade. Or what can I use to cover a a bank? All these things are lists, and that's what we're working on.
2: And colors that go together at the same time.
1: sure, sure, sure. I'm hoping hoping Erica can give us a couple of combinations of colors that work real nicely, of hard-to-kill plants that will make a real nice little perennial combo. Yeah, sure. Uh, It's fun. It's fun. It's fun to look forward to what we've got in the future. It's fun right now to honor our mothers and to honor our gardens as well and get out and appreciate the Stella de Oros, I guess, today is what we need to do, Nicole.
2: Enjoy your
1: day. Enjoy your day, my sweet. We'll see you next Saturday, 618, on a Saturday morning. And you're listening to Lawn and Garden. Absolutely wonderful today to be in the buff with your blueberries and naked with your knockouts because it is World Naked Gardening Day and the weather is in full cooperation. Plenty of sunshine this afternoon for that all over tan with afternoon highs in the low 80s, no chance of rain. Tonight, cloud free again, and overnight lows dropping down to the upper 50s. Maybe you want to garden at night, maybe you want to garden at day. Either way is okay by us on this World Naked Gardening Day. Stay tuned at last. Most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Meg is in Smyrna, and she comes up right now on News Talk WSB. Hey, Meg, good morning. Good morning. How can I help?
2: I have. Uh, some hibiscus plants outside, yeah. and this is now like the second year this has happened. There are these tiny little black and gold worms yeah. on the back of the leaves. They're like less than a half inch long, and they just eat the leaves till they look like lace. Yep. And I have sprayed them, but they come back, and I can't seem to get rid of them. So I want to know what I can use that will do that.
1: You and the rose growers around Atlanta can compare notes because it is not the same exact insect, but it is the same family of insects. they call sawflies. Saw, S-A-W-F-L-Y, sawfly. And they call called that because the female has a little... Saw shaped appendage on her back end that she saws into the leaf and lays her eggs ah. about uh, two weeks ago now. And when they hatch out to those little green and gold things, little larvae, you know, caterpillar looking things, I guess, and they mostly munch on the back side of a leaf because they are really, really tender and they don't like sunshine on them. And they munch around the back side of the leaf, and then sometimes the top side will die and fall out, so you get holes in that doily, you know, lacy kind of appearance. And, you know, frankly, the easiest way to kill them is you can either knock them off with hot, with not hot water, but with a, a water hose, or you can spray insecticidal soap as long as you get underneath the leaves where they're hide. Best time oh. to do it is in the morning. They really don't like to be out there in the middle of the day, but in the morning when it's early, right like now, and up until about 10 o'clock is when the soft flies will be on the back of the hibiscus leaves.
0: So spray in the morning? or Yeah.
1: Spray in the morning underneath the leaf.
2: Do they live in the ground?
1: They drop down to the ground during the day and then get back up into the hibiscus of the rose uh, during the evening, during the night, and during the next day, morning. Okay. Insecticidal soap, that'll do it. It'll scald them good, and they will be gone, gone, gone with the hibiscus and the rose. Thanks for calling, Meg. At 627. We'll be back after news.
0: you're struggling to keep my fading interest how much more wasted time will i invest so i will start making
1: eye contact with your breasts 635 and 51 degrees outside. It is cool outside, but it's warm inside the studio, which is appropriate because we are celebrating World Naked Gardening Day. Ashley, Scott, and myself decked out and not much. Ashley wearing her bikini today. Scott is totally mm, bare-chested in the engineering room. I am the same here with my, well, I must say, I've got my Mr. America shorts on right now, but we're doing our best to be bare, to dare to be bare, on World Naked Gardening Day. If you want to see some details of what I do when it's warmer in the outside, in the afternoon, and frankly, Ashton Ritchie, our friend from the Scots Company, he'll be here in a minute. He pledges that he will be celebrating World Naked Gardening Day as well. But you can go to my website, WalterReeves.com, type the word naked. That's all you have to do. All right, maybe you don't want to do that. Okay, don't do it. Then don't go at all, and don't type the word naked at WalterReeves.com. Whatever you want to do, you do it. Jack is in Locust Grove and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jack, good morning.
0: Good morning. How you doing? I'm
1: all right, Jack. What's up?
0: Uh, Squash. Yes, sir. I can't keep the boars from eating them up.
1: You, yeah, I can tell you how to fix that.
0: Okay. Then The first year, they sort of... Eh, Pretty bad. Yeah. Last year, it's like I didn't get a squash or a cucumber. Oh from. man! I mean, they just eat them up.
1: How big are the vines right now? How big is the plant?
0: Oh, they they just they just come out probably two inches tall. Right? This is
1: a perfect time to do what I'm about to tell you. Okay. Go get some. It's called frost cloth or floating row cover. Um, You can buy it at some of the nurseries And if not, go online And just get this very thin Spun-bonded polyester I mean, quite honestly If Hancock Fabrics hadn't gone out of business You could get spun-bonded polyester From a fabric store Because they use it for interlining And suits for sewing But it's very light white stuff Like netting almost And you take a piece of stick Or a bamboo stake maybe Stick it beside each one of your little squash plants So it makes a tent pole there in the middle And you drape this floating row cover, this frost cloth, over the top, all the way down to the sides, put a rock on it, some sticks to hold it down so it doesn't blow away. And sunshine comes through perfectly. Rainwater comes through perfectly. The only thing that can't come through is the moth that lays the eggs that make the squash vine borer. She can't get through there. And it can be on top of that squash plant until it flowers, which you know is going to be a couple of weeks easy from now. Yeah. And if you can protect the plant for as long as you can, the stem gets tougher and tougher and tougher during that two-week period. And, you know, to be truthful, Jack, you know this, that squash have male flowers that appear first on the stem, and it's only a week or two after that that the female flowers even appear. So you could leave that floating row cover on your squash with a little tent pole to hold it up off off the leaves. You could hold it keep it on the plant until the female flowers appear, and that's going to be June, easy June. Tough okay, one.
0: then just take it off? Or then just, just take, take it off. As soon
1: as the female flowers appear, then you got to take it off, because you got to have bees to come and pollinate the, pollinate the flowers. But if you can um, leave that floating row cover on all this time, the squash plants underneath will be perfectly happy with no borers ever getting in there. Okay, all right. Well, I appreciate it. All right, Jack. We'll see you soon, man. All right. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty gets you in to take Jack's place. We got uh, who? Ray. Ray's up in Fairburn, Georgia, and he joins us on Lawn and Garden. Morning, Ray.
0: Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm yeah. all right. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, just had a quick question for you. I'm considering um, changing my grass from Bermuda to St. Augustine, and I wanted to know would you do it, and if you would do it, how would you
1: do it? <laughs> Why do you want to do it? More is my question, Ray. Um,
0: I Well, I just bought a new house, and, and I love St. Augustine grass. I'm okay. just not a big Bermuda fan. Uh, you know, they come and spray all the chemicals and all that stuff. Uh, just a hardier, thicker grass, and I just want my lawn to look better than my neighbors.
1: One of the things you're going to have to get used to doing is spraying the St. Augustine with something uh, in the summertime for chinch bugs. If you've ever had it in Florida, the chinch bugs are there, the chinch bugs are here. So you will have to put some... Insecticide on the St. Augustine once a year. Uh, Okay. But if you want to change over, you can. Although I got to tell you, Ray, changing over from St. Augustine, from Bermuda into St. Augustine is uh, sort of a tough thing because the Bermuda is really, really tough and wants to um, survive. And so it takes a couple of months anyway to spray Roundup on the Bermuda and then let it rain on it for a while, and then the Bermuda sprouts up again, and then you uh, spray it with Roundup a third, a second time, and that's what it'll take usually to uh, get the Bermuda completely dead. You don't want it in there competing with the St. Augustine all the time.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah so you're just saying, coming to get rid of this first and then go yeah. in. Would you yeah. recommend just waiting until... Uh, The fall or something?
1: No, because you need warm weather for the St. Augustine to be planted from sod or sprigs, either one, so you need the warm weather, so you got to do it in the summertime. Gotcha. All right, thank you. All right, make your choice. Make your choice wisely, Ray. I will do. All right, man. 6.41 on a Saturday morning. Tim's with us. Tim has something going on with his cedar trees. Hey, Tim, good morning. Good
0: morning. uh, I've been... A uh, previous caller, I've been having St. Augustine since the uh, 80s, yeah. and I, I'll tell him up front, you struggle in July and August with water, yeah. not having enough water A little bit. in this area.
1: Have you had chinch bugs, Tim? I have. And what do you do for them? Pray. Uh, <laughs> 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 if you spray with, you know, evenly across the whole yard, sometimes... Around the middle of May to the late May period, I think, is the best time to do it. But you can get lawn insecticides that you put on the end of your garden hose. You just make a nice, even spray edge-to-edge on your lawn so they don't have a place that they can get to that's not poisoned. Then the St. Augustine, in my case, works fine. I just have to protect it, having learned that from bitter experience. But you have to protect it each year from the teach bugs.
0: I agree, and I do keep it tall to uh, keep moisture in the ground yeah, to, right. to, to survive July and August.
1: I, so, I got you. So how can I help but, otherwise, Tim?
0: About a year and a half ago, I noticed some brown or bronze growth appear on my oldest cedar tree, and they have grown. Those growths have grown to about golf ball size. Oh, yeah. I have some neighboring new cedar trees that I've put in, and this year I noticed that same growth starting on the young cedar tree. sure I don't know what to do about it
1: have you ever been out there after a rain after it's been raining for two or three days to see what those growths turn into uh,
0: they look hairy almost <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah they look gooey they look like the ones that I'm thinking of which I believe is what you have are the galls from a disease called cedar apple rust? And those galls on your cedar trees, if it's been wet for two or three days and warm, they'll sprout these big, long, orange, hairy arms that come out from it. It looks like something from an alien that came and touched your tree because they're just weird looking, just weird looking, gooey.
0: Mm. That is it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so not only is it affecting somewhat, it really doesn't affect the cedar trees all that much. But the name might imply what else goes on. It's a cedar apple rust. And so it goes to apple trees for part of its lifetime and makes these little yellow dots on the leaves of apples that are nearby and causes all those leaves to fall off your apple tree. That's the one that suffers from cedar apple rust is the apple tree.
0: And that has occurred.
1: Yeah. Well, now you know. That is what it is. It's cedar apple rust. And the uh, Best thing you can do at this point is to remove all those growths that you see on the cedar trees. Just clip them out, throw them away. Uh-huh. And if you want to spray fungicide on the apple tree to protect them from growths from the cedar galls that are out in the woods around the house there, you can do that to protect the leaves from falling off. So
0: how about the growth on the cedar tree? Because I'd like to save my cedar tree. Yeah, that, yeah, so. yeah.
1: Just cut, cut those off. Just clip them off with a... Clippers, you know, it won't affect much because they're usually out on the tips of the branches, and so they just clip it off with no damage to the cedar at all. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Just because you're my friend, Tim, I'll give you two more facts which I think are really interesting. One of which is. Many, many rust diseases have two hosts on them. And there's another one very similar to what you're describing called cedar quince rust, which gets on quince trees. There's a cedar hackberry rust that gets on hackberries, you guessed that one. Cedar serviceberry rust that gets on serviceberry trees. And all of them have that dual host um, lifespan, I guess, on them. And if you have any pine trees, Tim, look at your pine trees. And you'll notice on some of them on the trunk, there'll be this big, swollen, gnarly, cankery-looking thing on the trunk of the pine tree. And that is called fusiform rust, and it has an alternate host on an oak tree. And so you have this rust spore that goes back and forth between the pine tree and the oak tree. And this is about the time of year when the orange, dusty spores emerge from the pine cankers, for lack of a better word. And mm-hmm. go and, in fact, the oak trees nearby, they don't cause a lot of damage to either one to the oak tree, but that canker that's on the pine will weaken the trunk. And so if you have a big wind like we had in the last four or five days, then the pine trees that have the pine rust on them are likely to snap off where that wound is. So I need everybody, yeah. once the sun comes up today, to go out, look at your pine trees. If you see this gnarly, cankery-looking growth on the trunk of a pine tree, consider Calling an arborist to have him come look out, look at it, and see if there's any danger from that pine tree falling down, because the seat from the uh, fusiform rust on pines can be a real structural bad thing for a pine tree. Hmm. Gotcha. I taught you more than you ever wanted to know this morning. Tim. <laughs> you got me thinking. thanks thanks for calling, Tim. We'll see you, man. Thank you. Right. 404-872-0750 is my number and we got time for Mike to get in here. Mike Stone Thomaston, joins us on Lawn and Garden. Right. Hey, Michael, right. good morning. All right, good morning, Walter. What you got? I always
0: listen to you on the way to work on Saturday mornings and uh but anyway, my wife has got uh some hydrangeas. Yeah. And uh we had them at this place we we owned before um before we moved to Thomaston. But anyway, she wants to change colors. All right. Uh, She wants to know, somebody told her you could add something to the soil to make them change from blue or red or white or whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. This is easy, Mike. Where did you go to high school, Mike?
0: Uh, I went in Jonesboro.
1: In uh, Jonesboro High School? Yep. Well, the science teacher at Jonesboro High School in the 11th grade taught you what you need to know about your wife's hydrangeas. I promise she did. (laughs) She tried to anyway. I don't know if you took. I don't know if you you learned anything, Mike, but she tried to teach you this. And what they talked about was the pH of the soil, the acidity of the soil. And the way that you make hydrangeas change color is to make the soil more acidic. If you want it to be blue, in other words. If you want it to be pink, then you make the soil more alkaline. And you do that by adding lime. So which color does she want right now? I'll tell you what to do
0: she's wanting like a bluish color.
1: And are they pink now, or what are they now? Uh, They're white. Then, assuming that these are the big-leaf hydrangeas, that's the particular kind of hydrangea that you can monkey around with the flower color, assuming it's a big-leaf hydrangea, and assuming that it's sensitive to the presence of aluminum in the soil, and some are, and well, we'll just have to try and see, but if you want it to be blue, get some Aluminum sulfate. Go to a garden center, nursery, and say, I need some aluminum sulfate. And they sell it in a little paper bag. And you put about about a quarter of a cup to a half a cup, I guess, in a gallon of water and spread it on the ground underneath the hydrangea. And it'll change it from a whitish pink to a blue-blue color. It'll take a year or so for that to happen. Maybe do it a second time in the fall. And I think it'll be as blue as it can be next year. So yeah. aluminum sulfate Or if you've, if you've got sulfur If you've got yellow powdered sulfur There at the garden center You can say give me some sulfur And it'll have directions on the bag for the sulfur It's not a lot of that about a Less than a quarter of a cup Mix it in a gallon of water And spread that on the root, roots underneath the plant That'll work But either way, changing the pH Make it acid, makes it blue Alkaline, makes it pink it's 649, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and
0: traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Come back to Walter
1: Reese, the lawn and garden advice you
0: need.
1: And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today is World Naked Gardening Day. The weather is in full cooperation. There's no sunshine on your shoulders and any other parts you care to expose throughout the day, with afternoon highs reaching the low 80s. Tonight, clear skies again. Tim's dropped down to the upper 50s. Stay tuned. It most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Douglas is in Powder Springs, and he joins us on Lawn and Garden. Douglas, let's get this over real quick. I don't have a lot of time, but I think we can help. Go ahead, Doug.
0: Okay, Walter. I've got um, Bermuda grass. I've got about five or six of brown spots about eight inches wide in, yeah. the, in the backyard, yeah. and I don't know what's causing it, and I've also got uh, knockout roses, lined up, about 12 of them, I guess, and uh, I didn't prune them this, this past winter, and they're full of roses, leaning over, what do I do?
1: All right, for the Bermuda grass, here's the homework, because I don't have time to do all the diagnostic stuff with you, but go on my website and type okay. the word Spring Dead Spot. All you have to do is spring dead spot in the search line, and it'll take you to a couple of pages that talk about spring dead spot and what to do about it. Some of what you have to do for spring dead spot, frankly, is to treat in the fall. That's when it sets up on the lint on the leaves of the grass, and then it exposes itself in the spring. So check on that spring dead spot. On the knockout roses, you wait until after they have flowered completely, and the flowers are all beginning to fade. And you prune it down to 16 inches below where you want your next flush of flowers to be in July. Awesome. That's what I'll do. Get a measuring tape out there, a little yardstick, and measure it down 16 inches below where you want the flowers to be. Prune it right there. End of story. All right. Thank you very much, Walter. Great talking to you, Douglas. Thanks for calling. It's 657 and one-half at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden and World Naked Gardening Day after news. Right
0: on our feet we go waltzing around in the nude. Our kids think we're missing a screw or two. But our kids are the fools. The young tight-ass prudes. They're not used to waltzing around in the nude. la da la of